This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to another To The Point Podcast. I'm Sarah Gillespie, the Compliance Director at Lipsman Pitts Insurance in Memphis, Tennessee, now a Higginbotham partner. I have a new guest with me today that some of you may have heard before if you've ever joined one of our annual seminars. Bob Radicke is the Senior Regulatory and Public Policy Analyst at Benefit Comply, an employee benefits compliance consulting firm. So welcome, Bob. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So, Bob, I've been receiving so many questions about the COVID-19 vaccine as it relates to employers. Can we encourage it? Can we provide incentives to employees who receive the vaccine? Can we go as far as to require it? I know you guys are getting a lot of questions, too. And so, you know, now that the vaccines are readily available to pretty much everybody but young children and with this Delta variant going around, you know, um, I think a conversation on the topic is timely. So I will say up front to our listeners, though, that because there may be employment or state law issues to consider, please do consult counsel before you move forward with any kind of vaccine policy. This podcast, we like to dedicate to benefits compliance. So, you know, while we may not be able to address everything that employers need to consider, we think we can really start a good conversation. As with COVID testing requirements, employer vaccination policies must be job related and consistent with business necessity. When the COVID-19 vaccines became available, the EEOC provided guidance that employers could require the vaccines if the failure to to be vaccinated constitutes a direct threat to other employees in the workplace because the virus is widespread and could be easily transmitted in the workplace. So some of those things are quotes from the EEOC language. So, you know, we know that the EEOC is behind this. And because generally the EEOC is very employee centric, the idea that they have said that, you know, that this is a direct threat in the workplace employers can mandate it. Um, Bob, I want to hear your comments on that. What obviously it sounds like it's acceptable, but what are your thoughts about that as far as employers option to make it mandatory, I guess, and exceptions and all that? Thanks, Sarah. And and you you made a good point. Um, for both of us, we we've got, we know a lot about this. We answer a lot of questions, but you know, especially if an employer is going to go on the path of a mandate um, that they uh, carefully work with employment law counsel because it is mostly um, employment law issues that they're going to be dealing with. But to be honest with you, they're fairly manageable issues. Um, the EEOC has made it crystal clear that from the federal government's perspective, employers can mandate the vaccine. There really isn't any question about that. And courts have started to support that already. There's already been some cases working their way through the courts. There's actually a pretty significant one in a district court in Texas recently that supported the employer's right to mandate it. So the fact that they can isn't really a question anymore. But there are some things they have to, to, to pay attention to and do right. Um, the, the, the two principal things an employer has to take into consideration are there's a possibility that an employee can't get the vaccine for medical or disability reasons. And we have the American Disabilities Act that says, you know, the employers have to take that into account and accommodate employees that can't meet a certain requirement based on their medical or dis- disability condition. But employers have been dealing with that 
accommodation process with the ADA for years and years and years for many other things. And it's just not that different. The, the, what is what we're finding out is there's relatively few documentable medical conditions that an employee can say makes it prohibits them from getting the vaccine. I'm not saying they don't exist, but they're relatively rare. So that's just not going to be that many employees that can make a claim that they can't get the vaccine for medical reasons, but the employer has to consider it. And the other one is the religious objections. Title seven says that, you know, if an employee has a a legitimate religious objection to something like this, that the employer has to accommodate. The huge difference with the religious objection is that the employer really doesn't have to provide the accommodation if it has even a de minimis, minimal impact on the employer's operations or costs. So while the employer may recognize those religious objections, if the accommodation they have to make it causes really any disruption whatsoever to the operations of the company. They, they, they really don't have to provide it. So once again, the things employers have to do right, they have to consider, but they're going to have a relatively small number of employees that will fit into either of those buckets. Last little quick note, just on the employment law, um, is that you also have to consider state law. A number of states have passed some restrictions on mandating vaccines. Most of the states, it's related to public employees or employers that receive state funds. I think Texas is the most restrictive one that I've seen that that applies to almost all employers. So before, if you have, if you're a multi-state employer, before you put any kind of mandate in place, make sure you have your employment uh, council uh, check the state laws where you have employees. That's a really good point. If you're a multi-state employer, there's maybe another level of complexity to this for that reason. Um, And I do want to point out that, you know, there are a lot of people who are just uncomfortable with the vaccine for whatever reason, general, um, I don't know, just a a general discomfort, maybe with all vaccines, whatever the case may be, secular or just general uh, resistance, resistance yeah. there. There you go. Yeah. General resistance do not count as viable reasons to seek an accommodation. Right. So yeah. it's got to be a true medical or disability situation or a religious um religious belief. And, and like you said, even that can kind of be hard to require an accommodation. Yeah. I didn't know that part about that de minimis impact, but that certainly makes sense. So, yeah, okay. with the religious one, so, so let me just make one other comment about that. I think it's helpful for employers to recognize they don't need to get into an argument about whether they, you know, the religious belief is legitimate or whether they agree with it or any of those kind of things. If you if you want to say to an employee, you know, okay, you have this religious uh, objection, but the accommodation we would have to make for you not to be vaccinated is, you know changing your workspace around or making having you work from home and those aren't things that we can do in your job they just don't have to do it they're not denying the religious objection they're just not required to make any significant accommodations that's a good clarification so you know we're talking about mandatory situations but what if we want to consider maybe incentives mandatory requirements you know those may make sense if you've got a situation where it's a medical care facility it's a nursing home maybe a daycare or perhaps your business serves a higher risk population there are reasons that mandatory requirements for the vaccine make sense 
But if you want to maybe try the carrot approach first and offer mm-hmm. an incentive, that's also an option. So we know that the EEOC has something to say about it as well. And if they want to try the incentive route, there's a couple of different options. One, we're going to have to look at the HIPAA wellness rules. So like more on that in a minute. But Bob, tell us about the EEOC rules. Yeah, they, so the EEOC wellness rules have been a roller coaster, right? Haven't they, Sarah? This is these have been the rules have been waiting for literally two or three years to be released, and the Trump administration finally released them in the middle of the global pandemic in 2020. I have to poke a little fun at you, Sarah. I remember the day they were released, and your reaction was priceless. Like we've been waiting for these for three years, and they released the rules in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> it was, yep, it was, that's exactly what um, I said. <laughs> Well, and and then and then the Biden administration goes and pulls the rules for review. So it, we're we're again on this this roller coaster ride. So we're going to assume that the rules are going to get come out similar to how they've been proposed. And if that is the case, um, the EEOC really would treat. Um, an employer vaccine requirement differently if the employer were actually providing the vaccine, like on an on-site medical clinic or on-site where they're they're you know hiring nurses to provide the vaccinations. Um, the EEOC made very clear their rules would not impact an employer that just requires proof of vaccination. So if all you're doing is you're saying go get the vaccination from a medical provider, prove that you've got it, then we don't have to worry about these EEOC rules. If an employer is actually considering being more involved in the actual, um, uh, not distribution, that's the wrong word, but the providing of the vaccine to their employees, um, then they're going to need to look at the EEOC rules and there's going to be more limits put on the kind of incentives they they can have. Again, I don't think this is going to affect a ton of employers. I think the vast majority of employers that are requiring the vaccine are letting people get vaccinated wherever they can. It's available just about everywhere now. So it's 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 not necessary to you know to have it on site. And so they're just requiring proof of it. And in that case the EEOC's would, rules would not apply. And so I, I just want to clarify that what we're talking about is these EEOC rules is really under a wellness plan. This would be right. done under a wellness program that you would put the incentive in place, really similarly to anything else that you're providing incentives for under a wellness program. Um, anything that provides um medical care is considered a group health plan and it's subject to all sorts of rules when you're talking about a wellness program and 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 all of that and that kind of leads us into the conversation about the HIPAA wellness rules and health contingent programs and what those may require so can you kind of go down that path with us bob yeah, before I touch on HIPAA, you know, there, I mean, there's a number of things an employer can do, right? I mean, an employer could literally just give people gift taxable gift cards. Yeah, that's 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 an incentive. There's, you know, I you don't have to. Um, so there's different ways employers are doing this. But, you know, one of the things that you brought up is a really interesting approach is to do a premium differential on your health plan contribution like you do for other wellness rules, right? Or other wellness programs where, you know, Sarah, if you have your health insurance here, it's going to cost a hundred dollars a month to be covered. But if you do go through our wellness program, we'll only charge 50, right? You've been helping employers deal with those for years. This to simplify things, employers could really look at a vaccine a vaccination requirement the same way. Just make it part of a wellness program. If you've already got one, you work it into the one you have. If you just roll one out, it is your wellness program. If you're vaccinated, your contributions go down by X. 
right? Um, and you know, it would be very similar to how employers think about those tobacco programs, right? If you smoke or if you use tobacco, your contribution is one thing. If you don't, it's another thing. I, 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 I don't want to oversimplify it, but it really is setting something up very similar to that. Yes. And that is actually one of the hot topics and questions that we're getting a lot, even just in the last week or so, is specific to those premium surcharges. I don't know if it's that, you know, there was an article in the New York Times that kind of started it for me and I kept seeing another and another and another. And then employers are asking questions about that. So if we look at um, a premium surcharge and we're talking about it being similar to like a tobacco surcharge under a wellness program. We know that the HIPAA rules do have a ceiling on the amount that you could charge as a surcharge. So can you talk about that? Yep. So those of you that have wellness programs listening in today, you'll, you'll re remember this. If it's a health contingent uh, wellness requirement, you can only have an incentive up to 30% of your plan premium. So if you're going to say your wellness program says you're going to get a premium incentive, if you meet certain biometric tests, if you do certain screenings, it can only be up to 30% of your plan premium. And that same thing applies to a vaccination requirement. It can only be up to 30% of the plan premium. So if you've already got a wellness program that has a 15% incentive, you can only add another 15% for the vaccine because it's just part of that 30% requirement. So, and if there is something that already has a surcharge to it, like we've got the tobacco surcharge or something like that, it's a cumulative total. Like it's not right. each one is separate, obviously, right? It can't be 30% right. of the total premium. And then you've got another one for your tobacco and, and all that. Yeah, that's been kind of confusing with the tobacco one over the years already, hasn't it, Sarah? Because the tobacco incentive can be up to 50% of your premium. But that's, a, like you, you correctly stated, a cumulative one. If you have a combination of incentives, tobacco and health contingent, it can't be more than 50%. Maybe a, maybe a simple ex example would help. Um, you know, employers can plug their own numbers in. So let's let's say you got a client that currently has a, a health-related incentive of 20% of their premium. If I do certain biometric tests, if I do it, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a 20% incentive. And I've also got a premium, a, a, a tobacco incentive that gives you an additional 15% off if you're if you don't use tobacco. So before COVID, you could get up to 35% discount on your on your contributions, right? Um, that would be meeting the HIPAA rules, right? Your health-related ones are 20, so that's under 30. Your total is 35, that's under 50. Okay, we're all good. Now, this employer wants to add a, a vaccination requirement to the wellness program. They've only got 15% to play with, don't they? Because they're already giving their folks a 35% incentive, so they could add another 15 like you said, the word is cumulative. And in that case, they'd be up to 50% total because there's tobacco in there. Okay. Um, take tobacco out of it for a minute. Employers that don't have a tobacco incentive, you're absolutely right. 30% is the max for all your wellness health factor related incentives, including the vaccination. Just let's simplify it, folks. Just make it part of your wellness program and do it just like your biometric screening and you're good. <laughs> okay. So I think the message that we're trying to share is that uh, definitely employers can mandate the vaccine. There are also options though, if you want to go the incentive route right. and there are a few rules to look at, but both of them, either way, 
is definitely an option. So employers, you know, as they kind of grasp that, then come up with all sorts of other questions, don't they, Bob? Yeah. So I have had some really interesting ones in the last week or so. And generally, they're versions of something like, can I condition medical plan eligibility or the type of plan coverage, medical plan coverage, on vaccination status, or can I deny any COVID-related claims for someone who was unvaccinated or something like that? Yeah. What do you have to say about those? Now, here's one where we really don't think so. Um, that There are the HIPAA health non-discrimination rules that have been around for many, many years. And the health discrimination rules prohibit an employer from either making plan eligibility or coverage of you know certain claims contingent on what's called the health status factor. One of the health status factor listed in the HIPAA rules is receipt of health care. So think about it. Getting a vaccination is receiving health care. You're getting a shot. So we read that as you cannot make your plan eligibility or claims payment or coverage determinant on based on that receiving that vaccination. Now, could the regulators come out and provide something different here that gave us more flexibility? Sure, maybe they haven't yet. So if I were an employer, there is no way under the current rules that I would continue make my health plan eligibility or even any claim payment for any particular condition based on vaccination status. The incentives, great. Employment mandating and employment rules, we follow the rules, great. Don't make your health plan or claims contingent about it. Okay, I think it's important definitely to make that clear. So we've had the conversation about can we do it? And, you know, some of these off the well, I don't want to call them off the wall questions. They're fair questions, but it is. It's rough. It's rough for an employer. But OK, so let's talk about an employer's decided they're going to have a policy. They're going to encourage or mandate either one, the vaccine. What happens as far as time off to receive or recover from the vaccine? What are the obligations for employers to be offering there? Yep. So actually, the obligations are fairly minimal, but I think there's more, I would say, more of an opportunity. The only obligations I would say is that theoretically, if someone were got sick from, uh, and some of us got a little sick after we got our vaccination, right? We were under the weather for a, a little bit. If if someone got sick and, and missed more than three days of work, it could be subject to FMLA. Because remember, missing more than three days of work due to any medical condition might would normally qualifies you for FMLA if you're subject to FMLA. That's going to be really rare, though. You know, you're not hearing about uh, people getting sick for very long from getting the vaccination. Could happen, but it's going to be very rare that it qualifies for FMLA. There are some state and local paid leave laws. Multi-state employers know they're becoming more and more common that might mandate that the employer continue to pay someone that's on sick leave or pay, you know, or on leave due to a medical condition. So you'd have to take those into consideration. And then the last one is, you know, this um, the FFCRA way back at the beginning of the pandemic had that requirement for emergency sick leave that that expired last year. So we don't have to do that anymore. 
But um, the, uh, the Congress made it clear when they passed the American Rescue Plan Act that if an employer wants to continue to offer this emergency sick leave related to COVID, uh, they can and they can continue to get a tax credit for that. Unfortunately, that tax credit runs out at the end of next month. So we only got about a month more to do it. So if you're not already doing it, I doubt you're going to implement that now. But but that would be something where if you're giving someone time off, paid time off um, and you're subject to the. American Rescue Plan um, limits, you could get a tax credit for doing that. So it's an opportunity to give the people the paid time off. Um, again, paid time off for half a day to go get a vaccine is another one of those things that employers that don't want to mandate it is a pretty simple thing to do to really could make a difference because maybe a lot of employees just it's hard for them to get out after work or after hours and find a place to get the vaccination. So the ones that want it, giving paid time off, I'm being told, is one of the most effective uh, strategies for helping employees be able to go get vaccinated. Sure. That's actually a really good idea. And then maybe it doesn't come with the, I don't know if I want to say the stigma, but, but the the more harsh appearance of a mandate. Um, right. If you want to start with the, a small incentive or build your incentives or or whatever. So um, hopefully some of this conversation was helpful to you. Like I said, this really is kind of the jumping off point. This is just to let you know what the options are, that some things are very clearly yes, some things are very clearly no, like as far as the, the questions about can you deny claims or deny coverage. So if you have further questions, you want to talk about this, please reach out to me, Sarah G, S-A-R-A-H-G at lpinsurance.com. Anything I can't help with, I can always connect with Bob and his team and we can have a conversation there. But as I said in the beginning, you know, it's also really important that you're involving counsel because there are a lot of employment law, HR law, state law considerations that need to be factored into any kind of vaccine policy that you want to put in place. Bob, do you have any other closing comments for us? No, I think just that, you know, obviously the, the world is changing on us quickly because of the variant. We did a study, uh, a poll early this year of employers on how many of them were going contemplating a mandating the vaccine. We did it back in January. And I think it was at the time less than 15%. It was between 10 and 15% they were even contemplating mandating. Um, again, it's every employer's got to make their own decision, but the, the the numbers are changing rapidly. You're seeing it in the news and employers are, and then since the courts and the EEOC have defended the practice, you're seeing more employers giving it serious consideration. So it's a bigger question. That's why you're getting all of them. More employers are thinking about it. It's not right for everybody, but um, those employers that want to pursue it know that there is a path to do it if they do it right. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Bob, for joining us, for all your comments, so helpful. And everyone, thank you for listening. Please join us for another podcast. And again, reach out to me if you have any questions. Have a great day.